friend of mine said, hey, you don't need to beat yourself up if you're not a specialist. I don't hire specialists unless it's for a consulting job that we want something very special for. I am looking for people like you who are versatile. And I I came out of that call feeling a breath of fresh air because often I feel like I'm a, a millimeter deep and ocean wide. In heading to Colombia to teach after graduation, Dave Kramer was anticipating honing his Spanish and having an adventure. Instead, he found a life mate and an appreciation for the environment that would both lead him to choices and projects that make connections across continents. Find out how being an idealist who's a matchmaker for ideas can spark what you need for your next adventures on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. I'm here today with Dave Kramer, and we are going to talk about roads that take us far away and bring us closer to home and then try to tell us where home actually is. So, Dave, welcome to Roads Taken. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, it's great to to have this opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. So I start these the same way every time, and I ask two pretty easy questions. When we were in college, who did you think you were? And when we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you were going to become? It's a really interesting question. I guess when I when I first entered college, you know, I was a swimmer was definitely my main identity, you know, for sure. Having grown up in Florida and swum competitively and done well and, you know, I really enjoyed that part of the Dartmouth preparation for application and recruiting and all that stuff. I think during my years at Dartmouth, I still identified strongly as a swimmer and I was professionally really interested at first in medicine that uh, kind of crashed and burned quickly with some challenges with chemistry and math. But I think by the time I left Dartmouth, I was pretty convinced I wanted to do something related to education, whether that be urban ed, quote unquote, urban ed, or something more internationally focused. I wasn't really sure at that point, but I was really impacted by the education courses at, at Dartmouth and the kind of energy and I guess, uh, social impact opportunities. Uh, it was a real awakening for me having grown up in suburban Orlando, Florida, to start to think about other communities, other types of folks. <laughs> yeah, well, you've definitely been able to tap into different kinds of communities, and we'll talk about that for sure. But when you were taking that first step then af- hmm. off of college, what was the path and how'd you get there? I was able to enroll, first of all, in the uh, program that no longer exists, but the uh, teacher preparation program. And so I did an extra semester at Dartmouth for the fall of 96. And then I stayed up there for the spring of 97. With that, I had teaching certification. And I was actually dog sitting at the women's uh, swim coaches, Joanne Brislin, at her house in, I think, Etna, New Hampshire. And I remember reading, I was freezing and a little lonely not having the 96s around anymore. And I found uh, a Boston Globe classified ad that had an ad for a teaching job in Cali, Colombia. And I had previously done the language study abroad, which was probably the single most impactful thing I did at Dartmouth at the LSA at that time in Queretaro, uh, Mexico, northwest Mexico City. So I just had a hankering to get back to Latin America and get better at Spanish. So I found that ad, applied for it, along with a couple of other applications to places like Hawaii and Arizona. So there was a theme. (laughs) um, (laughs) You were cold in the winter. Exactly. But yeah, and I, I just applied for that. And then started that, you know, in the fall of 1997. I didn't realize it was that soon. And a classified. I love 
that. My kids are like, what is that? I don't even, (laughs) my daughter's 16, my son is 10, and I don't think they've ever really seen very legitimate classified ad. <laughs> oh, totally. I know. Yeah. I, I do the same thing. I, I had one classified ad job and uh, it's huh. just, it's astounding that that ever happened. To, to be yeah. <laughs> um, so, but that wasn't just a fly by night, like let's go teach English. Like that was a real thing and you were there yeah. for quite a while. So tell us about that experience as a young Sure. Person. So I was there, first of all, the intention of being there for one school year, you know, wanted to bar- improve Spanish. And I didn't really know where I was going after that. I guess a really important and difficult experience that I had in co- during college was my mom passed away my senior year. I matured, you know, as anyone would pretty quickly. And, you know, she was a huge influence in my life. But I think uh, it was almost like a rebirth, you know, post her death and having uh, no more swimming rigor or, or regimen. I was like, wow, this is, um, it was challenging, of course, but I was, it was, it was, like I said, a rebirth or a whole new me, I guess. And I fell in love with a Colombian woman there who is my wife now, her name is Carolina. I met her October 18th, 1997. She still has like the flyer from the party we went to because it was, she was a teacher at the same school. So my kids are like, you guys are cheesy. What? But <laughs> we, um, uh, like, sorry, it was, you know, true kind of fell in love pretty quickly. And she helped me learn Spanish better. I spoke pretty well, but uh, laughing at the old letters I wrote or mistakes I made. Yeah, that first year was magical. I mean, we just went all over the place and around Kylie. I got to get the real experience with her family, who's, uh, you know, grew up in a very humble neighborhood. I was just walking around town like a clueless idiot, I guess, in the sense of where I, you know, bumbled into with no problem. And I think the things that I did that year, I am really proud of were things that were like joining the university underwater hockey team, (laughs) which didn't know that existed, but it's actually, if you look it up, it's a thing people play around the world, but it was popular at the Universidad del Valle and it was like a club sport and it was fun. I liked holding my breath as any of my swimming friends would tell you. So that was one thing, other joining like hiking clubs, taking kids on trips, That first year, I had a pretty tough teaching load, too. I taught grades 6 through 10, so five different grade levels, and just sort of flew by the seat of my pants. And I ended up transitioning to another school, ended up being there for three years, teaching English and then U.S. history and uh, environmental studies, which led me towards my current path, really. I was really, really interested and concerned with what I saw as I got to know Colombia better. I wasn't just a naive fool anymore like I was that first year and saw major challenges. The country was having severe challenges in 1998, 99, Mm -hmm. 2000. And the opportunity to teach kids how to think about social studies and issues as well as sustainable development and all that was fun. That was, we would have been five, five, six, seven years out. And there comes a time though, where you think Columbia, home. Yeah. Talk to us about that. What actually happened was my, I almost said my senior year. That's how it felt, you know, four years in (laughs) Colombia. My final year in Colombia, so my wife and I got married my third year there in June, uh, June 16th, 2000. I had some friends come down from the States and my family. It was awesome. But then we were there in that year, 
2000 to 2001, some folks might recall the Clinton administration had a, a program called Plan Colombia, and they gave a ton of foreign aid and foreign assistance to Colombia ostensibly to end the drug war, but it was also very much an anti-guerrilla operation. I mean, they're kind of intertwined. And long story short, it was it got to be a really scary time for the community of wealthy people that I worked with and worked for. Some of my eighth grade students were kidnapped on the way to school and held in the mountains for quite a while, probably taken right past my house because I lived outside the city mm-hmm. with my wife in a beautiful little tiny cottage kind of. And it just sort of freaked my wife out more than I was normalizing everything. And I had no real plan yet to move back. I was pretty happy there. And Columbia was where it was at. And she and her family were like, this is not okay for, for him. You know, they called me the gringo, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we, um, basically my wife was graduating, uh, her undergraduate degree took a really long time to complete with uh, a lot of different teacher strikes and things over the years Mm -hmm. when I was there. But she got her degree then. And actually, I had to come up to the States a month before her to Florida and my my dad's house while I waited for her to get her actual diploma and stuff and then met me there. And we we actually drove up to Boston where we had gotten jobs. So we had, I guess, to back up a little, we had thought, okay, let's go to the U.S. Cool. Where do we want to go? And again, it was kind of like back in 97 where I was like, Alaska looks cool. <laughs> uh, Oregon looks neat. Oh, Hood River looks fun. Um, it was really sort of like, woo. And I was looking at jobs like outdoor ed. I was really getting into that sort of angle with education. I think my wife had been offered or at least had gotten interviews. It's a little fuzzy now, right? In, in uh, Alaska with some really interesting indigenous education programs. So we were dreamy and I think still are in some ways, but idealistic. But she, and I both decided Boston made sense because we had seen it on our honeymoon. And we also knew a lot of the folks who were you know, originally recruited. The Boston area felt good to her because of the ability to get around without a car at, and all that kind of thing that felt right to her having grown up in such a big city. Mm. And we went there and it got cold real fast. And actually, <laughs> we, we, we arrived there in August 2001. And mm. in September 2001, September 11th happened and we were you know, like, what is, is this stuff following us? We have bad karma. It was a really awful mm. feeling. Yeah. yeah. But you did like start a new life there together, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, it was also an yeah. awesome time. Yeah. We had a yellow lab that we had gotten in Colombia, brought us what Shenandoah was his name, brought him with us. And he was awesome. He traveled back and forth to Colombia several times after that too. <laughs> wow. I'm not sure how easy that is to do now, but we lived in a, a neighborhood called JP, Jamaica Plain which we love, ended up living there a long time. Yeah, the um, life we started there was, you know, one of for my wife, figuring out how to be a teacher and kind of grow up. I was also trying to figure myself out. So I worked at a nonprofit called Citizen Schools, which is still going strong. It's a really good organization. And unlike my peers who were there to try to learn how to be teachers, I was trying to figure out what a nonprofit operates like, but we were doing the same role. And I was looking back in a weird spot where I was seen as kind of more of the experienced teacher. And I was young, but I was old compared to my peers. Mm -hmm. I did this program called the Teaching Fellows Program at Citizen Schools, which is, I think it's now an AmeriCorps thing, but at that point it wasn't. Mm -hmm. The coolest thing though, and I tell people when I I give people career advice or think back on my life, I think the most powerful experiences I've, or 
I've had or the ones that have paid the most dividends for me and others are these sort of cohorts that I've been in, mm. whether it's a fellowship network or, or whatever, just because it's, it's a bunch of highly energetic people. In my case, usually some sort of idealism related to it. And, and that I still, you know, some of my best friends and people doing amazing stuff that I can give a shout out to or rely on are, are from that and a few other different cohorts. Dartmouth also, you know, Dartmouth alums. So. so in this particular case, though, Dave, you were kind of the old guy around and you said you had an eye toward the nonprofit. You also had earlier seen how environmental education and, and, and conservation and sustainability in general was important to you. So that was a chance where you were able to pivot in Boston. So can you yes. talk us down that road toward the education of environment? Absolutely. What actually happened was the fellowship program at Citizen Schools was only two years. So it was intended to end. And in my second year, I was really looking at environmental studies programs um, without a lot of, you know, I did some science because I had to at Dartmouth and enjoyed it. And even like audited an immunology class that spring that I was hanging out there because I Hmm. still really liked it as long as I didn't have to get graded. What I found was I was talking to folks at citizen schools and one of my colleagues said, why don't you consider the Kennedy School and policy? And I was like, what's the Kennedy School? So I feel bad saying that now because some people, a lot of people really try and think about it for a long time. But it kind of surprised me. I was like, I didn't even, didn't even really know what policy was, to be honest. I thought about it a little through education, but not in a profound way. So thanks to that sort of moment where a colleague said, why don't you try that? I looked into it, happened to have a lot of connections through citizen schools, folks who had gone there or had just ties to, to Harvard. So I, I ended up going there and studied from 2003 to 2005 uh, master's in public policy, where it's at the at, at least the MPP degree at the Kennedy School is is pretty broad. But I was able to kind of focus and specialize on environment and sustainable development, international development. There are some courses that are super quantitative. I, I gravitated more towards things like negotiation, community organizing, and stuff like that. So it was kind of magical in the sense that I found an internship at an organization that I ended up working for later for 11 years, but it's called uh, Ecologic. The organization just spoke to me. It was like, wow, at that time, the website looked great. That, that, that website, if we looked at that old website now, it would be. <laughs> but uh, right. in 2003, I think. But what really spoke to me was it was an organization focused on grassroots leadership in it and empowerment which I know is a loaded term, but grassroots organizing and community-led conservation in Latin America. Specifically, they worked in Central America and Mexico. And when I worked there, I was always pushing for, can we go a little further south? Let's get down to Colombia. (laughs) It doesn't have to go far south. (laughs) Yeah, not too far. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess at the Kennedy School too, it was uh, what is interesting to look back now. I remember some conversations where there were a really small number of folks who professed to care about the environment. And we had some conversations with folks who were kind of like, come on, social policy is more important. And there wasn't really this awareness yet of, climate, climate change hadn't like the um, inconvenient truth didn't come out until I believe 2006. And that was a big turning point. But that was after I had left the Kennedy School. So it was definitely a profound time for me. But what was interesting is I guess this is me, I kind of ping pong back and forth. Uh, Looking back, I know I got sort of cold feet. My daughter was born my final semester at the Kennedy School. And that was you know, huge. And it certainly also 
just made me want to spend more time with them. And I had these dreamy ideas of going back to Columbia. I had uh, art, I had also created through a course at the Kennedy School, a, a nonprofit that I've never, never actually made happen. But some one, the idea was to work with former soldiers and guerrillas and, and paramilitaries, so former combatants and creating sort of a cohort of environmental kind of conservation corps type thing. But I, I, especially at that time, I think that was insane. I had some professors tell me, you don't, you know, be careful. Since then, in 2016, there was a peace accord and there's been a lot of work, but a lot of challenges too. And a lot of yeah. people, you know, a lot of tough things happening to people who want to make change. But anyway, the um, what my cold feet led me to was actually to apply to a program at Greenfield Community College in Western Massachusetts. And I went there as a student for a year after spending the summer, the summer in Columbia with my family. And I, I studied outdoor leadership. And I look back and sometimes I beat myself up, up about it. Why the hell did I do that? It was a great way to just keep from having to pay off loans. I even took loans for that program. So it was, it was definitely <laughs> not living in realityville when it comes to money. But I, I had this dream, I guess, that was not fully articulated, which may be a common thing for me. But I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go do this thing for a year. Then I'll become this mountain guide and I can take people all over Colombia. It was sort of, if I look back, I think that was the narrative in my head. Right. And now I have a lot of respect for mountain guides because they don't just do that in nine, a nine-month program. You know, that, that, for example, the guides, nature guides, et cetera, spend a lifetime, you know, gaining their skills. But I still, even to this day, I still have a hankering to go take people on trips around Colombia and gotten this close, really close before, but different things have intervened with job situations that have limited that from happening. But in any case, I did that. We lit, My wife and I lived in Greenfield, Massachusetts, which is, if you don't know where that is, a lot of people don't. It's um, down the Connecticut River at the intersection of Route 2 in Massachusetts and, and 91. So drive north to Dartmouth, up to Norwich. The reason we had had our eyes on that is one of my wife's best friends from college was and still lives in that area and moved there at the same time we moved up to Boston. Uh, it was great to be with them and her and her family nearby, but we both were like, we just need to get back to Boston. So back to Boston also becomes a theme, I think, for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However... Yeah. To come back to Boston, that means you have to leave Boston. So at some point you're doing, you said an 11 year career at this nonprofit, nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got cold and you needed to go south. (laughs) Is that, that's probably not the narrative. So tell me what I can can fill it in a little. My sister moved to Dallas originally for college and then she's still there. And over the years she came to visit us when our kids were born and other events where we meet each other. And she thought JP, Jamaica Plain in Boston looked a lot like, or had a similar vibe to Austin. In some ways she's right. I think in sort of a, uh, keep Austin weird, keep, keep JP weird sort of thing. <laughs> it, and she also knew that, um, my wife Car- Carolina wasn't too psyched about the cold all the time. So sort of like, Hey, check it out. So over the years, we actually visited several times and started to dip our toes into the idea. So we moved here and my wife had gotten a job teaching. She, she teaches elementary school Spanish and she um, got a job in a school here where our, our son at the time was going into kindergarten, could, could go there as well. And our daughter got into a like, public magnet program on uh, called the uh, Lamar Fine Arts Academy here 
And I was able to work remotely for Ecologic at, at the beginning. And Ecologic had some tough times actually as after the, uh, the Trump administration took office and there were a lot of changes made. And I don't know if there's a direct causality here, but there was certainly a major drop off in funding and support from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that kind of came crashing down on us. And so I was left like from one day to the next looking for a new work and started creating consulting gig where I was just able to do some stuff and, and earn money from, and also tap into the networks I had learned about things like technology and rainforest acoustics and things like that, which are kind mm-hmm. of exciting. And so from, from that point, I think my entire time here in Austin has been the best way to put it. It's, it's been challenging, but exciting. But one of the biggest challenges for me was actually my son got really sick and was hospitalized with a thing called Kawasaki's disease and then later diagnosed as juvenile arthritis. And he's an avid soccer player, total energetic little goofball. And to see him with like literally inflamed blood vessels and an inflamed heart, it was very scary. That in particular made us really and my wife think a lot about, okay, our networks and our, my sister's way up in Dallas um, they were super helpful and awesome this entire the entire time. My son was really sick, but we definitely felt an, a desire to be reconnected to folks we knew in Boston at that time. And then that was in early 2018. So it's mm-hmm. percolating for a while, trying to figure out when the right time to leap is. And our daughter's you know in high school now. What do we do? And it's, it's complicated, I think, when you don't want to hurt a kid's development or social relationships. But professionally speaking, in that time, I was able to also do some really fun stuff when I was consulting and connected to some of the, the networks I had connected to before. I was able to go to Sydney, Australia for a conference and present there on conservation standards and kind of conservation planning. Then to Costa Rica to, to also work on what's called um, landscape-based conservation through it with an organization called Eco Agriculture Partners. And then I got a job with an organization called Vera, which focuses on standards for sustainable development and carbon finance. And originally really started out only with the express purpose of developing a voluntary carbon market. And so I've also bounced between these ideas of international grassroots development and what do we do about the uh, climate problem, big scale. So all these things are interrelated, but I can't say I've had a laser focus. With Ecologic previously, I was able to live in Guatemala for a summer with my family when my daughter was four. And then with Vera, I was able to go to Guatemala, lead a retreat there, an international kind of retreat of all of our partners. So I think for me, bringing people together and exploring the world is uh, really what makes me tick. (laughs) Yeah, you've gotten a lot of great kind of backdoor experience to do that. And one day (laughs) I can see you leading those mountain trips. So, um, But with the work kind of as this environmental -hmm. environmental generalist, you do have these networks and can kind of find your way wherever you need to go. So now it sounds like back to Boston is happening again. So what's on the horizon? I guess I should say where I am now. It's strange because I was in Texas thinking, okay, I need to stop this remote work. I really want to reconnect and work with somebody, uh, some folks together in the same spot, whether that's teaching or something else. So I actually applied to teaching jobs here and I, I applied to a job that I got at the University of Texas. And my Final interview was the night before everything shut down, <laughs> the, the March 12th 
2020. So I wasn't able and still haven't been able to work in any other setting than on Zoom, you know, with my colleagues. And it's that program is called Planet Texas 2050. And the focus is very Texas focused and very much about building climate resilience in different ways, whether that's from the geosciences to or, or community empowerment. And I'm basically helping a bunch of different, really dynamic researchers collaborate better. And so I'm a facilitator and administrator, really. I'm assuming at this point that I'll be able to continue that that role for a bit. Um, and I don't know how much longer I may do that for quite a while longer, because a lot of what we can learn here and do here has great lessons for the world. It's not just about Texas, yeehaw, right. you know. Um, but I think I also have really uh, a lot of interest in in Boston. There are quite a few really good organizations looking at things like international agricultural development. There are foundations, there are you know, film, philanthropists that do some really neat work. So uh, like, I think the fact that you called me an environmental generalist is a great way to put it. Um, a friend of mine who's the director of an organization called Trees, Water, People, just based in Fort Collins, Colorado, we talked to each other for advice and just to, to keep in touch. And he recently said, hey, you don't need to beat yourself up if you're not a specialist. I, I don't hire specialists unless it's for a consulting job that we want something very special for. I am looking for people like you who are, who are versatile. And I I've came out of that call feeling a breath of fresh air because often I feel like I'm a, you know, a, a millimeter deep and ocean wide. So I, I think sometimes there's insecurity that related to that where I'm not a. But you can see it's one thing to yeah. be a millimeter wide and do nothing with it. But when you're the mm-hmm. millimeter wide and can then draw the connections and build networks yeah. across across the Great Lake, you know, I think yeah. that's that's a real gift. I've had people tell me over the years, like, "Do you know everybody?" And I'm like, <laughs> um, "No," and I don't didn't think I did, but I I really love matchmaking finding and i do a lot of um i guess follow-up generous emails saying hey you should meet this person like wasn't requested but i just see those possibilities and that excites me i think the creative side of me is excited by a a what if maybe which is kind of how i've approached various parts of my life right so (laughs) yeah it um, sounds like there's been a lot of what if but you follow the what if, so that's great. Grab a parachute. Yeah. 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 And it's not like you choose one thing and turn your back on the other. So I know that you've kind of kept your hand in, in some way with Columbia. So tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Thank you. Right when I was, you know, I could see the writing on the wall a little bit back in 2017 when Ecologic was having trouble. And I, I, I was also working remotely, so I started creating this um, pet project, if you will, called the Columbia Rising Project. And right now, the Columbia Rising Project really consists of a Twitter feed that I try to retweet cool stuff happening there, as well as some isolated small support projects, which are right now really just sweat equity support, uh, currently helping an organization of mostly younger people, not all, but a, a bunch of really cool Colombian 20, 30 somethings that are looking at the way that tropical glaciers are receding in a unfortunately rapid fashion. And they're trying to do something about it. And so I'm helping them translate this really cool book that they produced and also joined forces with them just to amplify their message. 
and it's called Cumbres Blancas. And they, they do work in other countries too, like Mexico, um, but in Colombia, they've got a lot of energy. And I also have this crazy cockamamie dream, which I think is probably going to have to get scoped differently, but I've gone ahead and told folks about it and everyone I've told about it is excited. And there are some other models that are similar, like in Chile and of course the Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail. But the idea that I had actually when I was visiting Colombia for my 40th birthday and my best friend there, we go on adventures together. We were with a group up in an area called the Sierra Nevada del, del Cucuy National Park. And I was having trouble sleeping because of the altitude. So I walked around in the full moon at night and was like, it would be cool. I don't know why I would think this when I was having, not feeling well, you know, I was, uh, I was like, why don't we make a trail that goes across all of Colombia? Let's do it. Let's find a way. And so I started talking about it and we got it, maps and, you know, GPS, you know, different waypoints and stuff thought of, but I've talked to different folks who are like, yeah. And other folks are like, you should probably start small. Why don't you just start around Cali and build out from there and see how the nodes work. And then it's more than anything. It's sort of like, I've just threw it up on the wall and maybe it'll stick at some point. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you have to do that. I love yeah. the kind of altitude induced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. If anything, I can see myself in a more humble fashion. My wife and I, talk about it pretty much every day about wanting to move back there at some point, not full time though. You know, we're, we're, we're at this point now where we're moving back to Boston um, where there's a pretty sizable Colombian community as well to spend part of our time. She's a teacher. She certainly can spend summers there and stuff, but to, uh, to be able to bridge the two countries, but also, you know, start a school, the region outside of Cali, it's just beautiful. The mountains there, um, all the different little micro adventures you can have kind of keeps us excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like the road so far has been exciting and I do not doubt that the next ones will be. This has been so exciting to hear about the ways that you've found the connections and found the networks and found where home really feels like it is. So thanks so much, Dave, for yeah. sharing all of this. Thanks, Leslie. I appreciate it. That was Dave Kramer, an environmental generalist who has skills in grassroots organizing, experiential education, and supporting the next generation of global changemakers to reimagine our world. He is currently the program director for Planet Texas 2050, coordinating interdisciplinary climate change mitigation and adaptation initiatives at UT Austin. But if you're heading to Colombia for a visit and need a guide, Dave's your man. He's also the founder of the Columbia Rising Project. Follow them on Twitter at Rising Columbia. And follow Roads Taken on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that you can catch me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, with our next guests on the next episodes of Roads Taken.